Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Uh, well, if you haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, God's been doing some really fun stuff at Antioch, and really, there's been a stirring that's been happening in us uh, since this annual conference that we do called World Mandate. Uh, again, just how many of you guys that love World Mandate? It's so amazing. Uh, but... Uh, What we really felt like God was kind of giving us an invitation into after World Mandate was to really kind of lean into his heart uh, as we were believing that God wanted to stir our passion. And as our passion increases, so must our vision so that we can run together further, faster, and farther. And and if you you don't mind, I'd like to kind of stay in that flow this morning and and have no fear. We're going to be starting a really cool series next week. Uh, But today... Uh, I want to do, uh, just kind of continue to lean in to the heart of God. Are you guys cool with that? Um, so before we go any further, I want to pray because really every week I believe this, but I really sense it um, this week that God wants to speak to us and, uh, and I need to get out of the way. Amen. So Jesus, we, we do thank you that you are here. God, we acknowledge your presence, Jesus. And Lord, we're asking that you would awaken our hearts to your word. We'd have ears to hear, God, eyes to see that the truth of what you want to tell us would land on good soil in our hearts, that we would experience the strengthening that happens when our life is built on the firm foundation that is the truth of who you are, God. In Jesus' name, everybody shouted. Uh, a, a year ago, or excuse me, a few years ago, definitely not a year ago, a few years ago, uh, Liz and I and some of our friends, Joel and Dana Sanders, thought it would be a fun idea to drive from San Diego, California, where we were living, to Raleigh, N- North Carolina for a meeting. That's a long way. So uh, it, it was kind of, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great idea that was birthed out of budget. How many of you have ever had a great idea birthed? out of budget, right? Like, so it's like, we really can't afford to do anything but drive, so let's make the drive fun. So we planned it all out, and we're like, okay, cool, man, we're going to do Route 66, and man, have you seen Cars? You guys know that movie, Cars? Great movie. And and so you're driving down the road, and you're like, oh my gosh, man, they crushed it. It looks like Cars. It's amazing. So like, you're driving down Route 66, and we had it all planned. Where we were going to stop, who was going to sleep when, it was all mapped out. And then we were having a great time. Everything was going without a hitch until we hit the mountains of Tennessee. In the mountains of Tennessee, we were borrowing an expedition at the time. And, and, the, and, and in the mountains of Tennessee, all of a sudden, Joel and I were sitting in the, in, in the driver. Joel was driving. I was in the passenger seat. And we felt a jolt, just like a... Now, you know, we're a little nervous laughter. Joel and I looked at each other because neither of us know anything about cars. And we're in the middle of nowhere, and so it's like if this goes down, there's no way that this isn't, like, super tragic. But we're like, okay, cool. We're going to be fine. And we keep driving, and then it hits again. This one was a little bit more force, right? There's a little bit. So it's kind of the laughter went from ha, ha, ha to a little bit of a nervous giggle. Right now, that jolt was so violent that the girls actually were sleeping in the back. They woke up, and they were like, hey, is everything okay? And Joel and I were like, we're good. And so as we're driving, all of a sudden, the jolts turn to sputters. 
And then the engine just completely shuts off. And we're like, what is going on? Now, here's the deal. We're in Tennessee, all right? Like in the mountains of Tennessee, okay? Like people are named Bubba and stuff, and there's Sasquatches there. And so, and we're by ourselves. And, and, and so we, you know, and we were like, you know those country roads where you can't even see the next overpass? That's where we were, all right? And so Joel and I are like, oh, dude, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know, dude. He's like, well, I guess let's like try to, try to find a filling station. And maybe it's like one of those old school gas stations. You guys remember where the, the gas stations used to have the mechanic that was there? We're like, man, like m- maybe we're just going to get lucky. And so the girls actually opted to stay in the excursion. All right, so they stayed, and we're like, all right, look, you just, if anybody comes, hide under the blankets, you know what I'm saying? And, and they're like, okay, good, good, good. So Joel and I take off walking. We don't even know where we're going. We're just walking down the road. Luckily, we find an overpass, and there was, there was, a, few, there was a, a, a gas station there. There wasn't a mechanic, but we're like, look, dude, maybe we ran out of diesel. You know, like, let's just try that. Like, let, let's, let's at least just get some diesel. It kind of felt, you know, I don't know if you've ever run out of gas in a car, but this is, it, it felt familiar. So we're like, okay, it's strange because the gauge says that we have a quarter of a tank. So it doesn't make any sense, but it kind of felt like we ran out of diesel. And so we bought some diesel. We walk all the way back. It's probably a mile both ways. Honestly, we get all the way back to the car. The girls were like, where were you? We're like, we're saving your lives, you know. So we put diesel in the excursion, and, and at this point, like, we, again, we didn't know that diesel engines, once they, like, run out of diesel, don't just, like, crank back up. We didn't know that. We hadn't been privy to that. So we didn't know we were crawling out for, like, a double miracle. But I don't know our, how you feel about God healing cars, but, man, I'll tell you, when you're stuck on the side of the road in Tennessee, you pray. So we're like, God. Heal the car. You know what I mean? Like, move, do something, send a mechanic. All right, so here's the thing. This is a sidebar. Liz wanted me to make sure that I mentioned this this because I didn't say this in the first service, but this is, this totally happened. Joel and I are walking to the filling station, and a cop pulls over to the side of the road and says, Boys, what are y'all doing out here? And we were like, Well, sir, um, our car, I don't know if you saw it, there's a white excursion down the road, whatever. I think we ran out of diesel, so we're going up to the filling station. And there was no one in his car. He looks in his back seat. He real deal did this. He looks in the back and goes, well, I'm late to a meeting or I'd give you a ride. And zoomed off. <laughs> Thank you, Tennessee. Fast forward, the car ends up starting again. It was great. We ended up getting to Raleigh, North Carolina. It was fantastic. We had a great time. But here's the thing. The gauge said we had half a tank, or excuse me, a quarter of a tank. It looked like everything was fine. It looked like we had the fuel to make it to where we needed to go. But on the inside, we were emptier than what it looked like on the outside. Have you felt like you're believing for something, you're moving towards something, you need breakthrough in an area of your life, you're believing God for something, maybe you're just hoping in something, and man, you know all the right scriptures, man, you know where you need to go, you know what you need to say, you're like, man, I'm filled with hope, I'm not hopeless, I got, I got peace, I'm not peaceless, I'm not going to let this go. you know all the right things to say, your gauge looks like you have a quarter of a tank, but if you're really honest on the inside, you're running on empty, am I talking to anybody? 
Because sometimes we think that it's about how we look like on the outside that's going to bring breakthrough on the inside. If I act a certain way, talk a certain way, if I adapt these certain kind of faith things, then I'm going to start seeing faith breakthrough. But the truth is, if we don't find a fuel source, what's inside of us ultimately is going to shut down what's happening around us. Am I talking to anybody else? I really feel that we're entering into a season of unprecedented breakthroughs, but here's the problem with talking about breakthrough. Most of us don't see it because we burn out and burn up before we get to the breakthrough. And here's what I believe. I believe God wants to give us some keys to learning how to see breakthrough before we burn out. To not just know the right things to say and not just know the right prayers to pray, but to really experience the God of today. Come on, I'm spitting rhymes up here. You feeling that? My album's coming out next week. Like, that the God of today wants to do some real things in your life. Some real stuff. Some real breakthrough, some real things shifting and moving, not just talking about it, not playing church, but real freedom and restoration happening in your life. Do you believe that? If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, man, there's some great stuff in the book of Daniel. There's a couple really kind of famous highlights in the book of Daniel that you might be familiar with if you're a Bible reader. One of them is what's known as the the fiery furnace, right? You got these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And they refuse to bow down to the golden statue of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and worship him. They refuse to bow down to him. And so they were thrown into a fiery furnace and God rescued them and spared them. There's another highlight in the book of Daniel where you have the story of the namesake of the book, Daniel, who was a prophet of God, and he was praying, and he was told, you can't pray anymore. You can't pray to your God anymore. You can't do that. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep worshiping the God of Israel, the one true God. And so they throw him into a den of hungry lions so that the lions would devour him to try to strike fear in everyone who believed like him. But God did something amazing that he met Daniel in the lion's den. And just like the flames could not touch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the lions were unable to touch Daniel. He shut the mouth of the lions and he was spared. But you need to understand the context of these two big major stories in this book to get the full picture of what was happening because the book of Daniel was written when the people of God were living in what was called exile. They, they were, the, the easiest way to understand exile is this, is that they were cultural outsiders. What had become the normal for their life was not the normal that they were raised in. Because of sin and the people of God rebelling against the things of God, the, the, the people of God found themselves in a kingdom that was not God's kingdom. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? They were in exile. They were living in exile. And what the king had done is he gathered together some of the young talent of Israel 
like Daniel and like Shadrach and like Meshach and Abednego. And they gave them a privileged place in the kingdom. And here was the sole goal of the Babylonian kings for this group of young men. They said, we're going to re-educate you. You're the future leaders and the influencers in your culture. And so we're going to re-educate you on the Babylonian way of living so that then you could influence and shape how Israel is going to live from this point forward. This, this, is the, this is the premise of the book of Daniel is the people of God were in exile and you have a young group of men, most theologians would agree, are teenage boys that are being groomed to be the future leaders and they, they are told that they need to leave how they were raised to become what is now normal. Now listen to me, I want to make a point not to bring fear to us, but honestly to open our eyes to the fact that we now, specifically in America, in the urban centers of our nation, if you follow Jesus, you now live in exile. There, there was a time when the baseline code for how to live and what was right and what was wrong in our nation was fueled from a biblical worldview. That time is not our time. And I think sometimes we get a little bit confused and, and, and a little bit concerned because we're not living open to the fact that we are in exile and there's, there's a group of people that are trying to groom our young, influential, future decision makers, even within the church, to reject the truth of what the Word of God really says and to acquiesce to a simpler, more culturally relevant message of what the world wants us to believe is now true. And you see this happening in churches all over our nation and even in our city. Is they're trading, the tr they're doing origami to the word of God to make the truth of what they're saying they believe more acceptable to the culture where they live. Look, here's the thing. I believe that God has called us to not survive in exile, but to thrive in exile. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this entire book is about the sovereignty of God meeting a group of people in a place of exile and demonstrating that although culture was screaming at them in one way, that God was with them. And the sovereignty of God was in control even when it felt like their circumstances were in control of them. And Daniel finds himself at the very beginning of this book in that little crew of people that have been chosen to be privileged and re-educated and to be experienced just all the good stuff of Babylonia. And he, and he looks at his leaders, and this is what he says. Daniel 1, verse 8. This is amazing. I lost it. This is amazing. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And, he, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. Listen to this. Key number one to thriving in exile 
Exile changes what's around you. It does not change the God that's in you. Living in exile changes what's around you, but it does not change the God that's in you. The narrow road leads to divine favor. This doesn't make sense in our earthly mind because, look, this is what we think. We think the easy path is a path of favor. Oh, this is a smooth way to go. This must be the favor of God on my life. Not if it compromises who God has called you to be. Look, we need to understand, who told you that easy was better? This honestly is the biggest lie that is being pe- like peddled across our nation that if something is difficult, that it's bad. If you got to fight for something, then it's wrong. No. Daniel said, I, look, they were basically saying, dude, come party with us, bro. Come eat this food, man. Drink our wine. It's going to go ham. Do we got all, we got more, do we have so much more fun than y'all have over there in the Israel way? Come on the Babylonian way, bro. It's lit. That's, that's, what, that's what they're saying. And Daniel's like, no, my God didn't tell me to live that way, so I'm not going to live that way. And he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know he was going to have favor, but there was the, the God that was in him didn't change because what was around him was different. These were teenage boys, man. These were not like 50-year-old men who were established in God and in culture. These were young dudes who had found God in a real way, and it didn't matter if they were in exile. They were going to not just survive it. They were going to thrive in it. Anybody want to be like Daniel? Daniel understood that the God who was in him was unchanging. Another key to us thriving in in exile is understanding that exile is an opportunity. It's not just opposition. Exile is an opportunity. It's not just opposition. Opposition sets the stage, hear me, for the unstoppable, unshakable glory of God. You see, we live in a day and age where we celebrate strength. We celebrate influence. We celebrate fame and popularity. You know, I went to this incredible meeting this week with a group of leaders from our region, from Austin all the way down to San Antonio, as we were praying and leaning in because believing that God wanted to do a, a, a shaking in our region. It was incredible. It was incredible to be with. And I'm meeting these different pastors that from all these different churches, different sizes, different denominations. And you know what's so interesting is they all said the same thing. They said, you know what, we believe that God is stirring a group of people that don't want to see their name be famous, but want to see Jesus' name be famous. Look, here's what we need to understand. Living in exile, you cannot try to be strong in exile because you're outnumbered. You have to understand that it is a grace that is made sufficient in weakness. 
Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, not in my strength, in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insult and in hardship and persecution and difficulties. For listen, for when I am weak, say it with me, then I am strong. It's not trying, it's not about trying to look strong. It's owning the fact that we are not strong. Daniel looks at this chief eunuch, right? And he's like, look, I'm not going to eat your food. I'm not going to party with you guys. Now, the chief eunuch, God moves on that dude, and it says that he had favor. He showed him favor. And then what happens is crazy. The eunuch's like, look, dude, I'm so glad that God spoke to you. But what about me? This is what it says. And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youth who are your own age so you would endanger my head with the king? He's like, look, dude, I'm cool if you do whatever you want to do, but look, you guys don't eat this food. Y'all are going to start looking rough, and if you, if you don't look like the guys who are eating the food, I'm going to die. Listen to this. Daniel said to the steward, who was assigned to them, skip to verse 12, a bunch of names there. Test your servants for 10 days. Oh, I love that. Test it. He looks at him, he's like, look, test, test us for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the parents of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. How many of you know that, the, that culture is waiting to see God move in power? They're waiting to see God move in power. It says this in verse 15. On the 10th day, it was seen that they were better in appearance, fatter, hello, in flesh, than in all the other youth who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and their wine, and he said, just eat more vegetables. All the vegetarians in the house said, I've been trying to tell people. I'm here to tell you, this was a supernatural provision. <laughs> and it was only for 10 days. Can I get an amen? Another key to us understanding how to thrive in exile is that we need to see that God has called us in exile to live a lifestyle of fasting. This is, this is not a popular topic. Because what we're doing is we're saying we're, under, we're understanding now 
that to see God shake the foundations of our city, we must deny ourselves so that he can be bigger through us. Is that a popular message in our culture to say deny yourself from something for the sake of something else? Our culture says indulge in whatever feels good. Do as much of it as you can. Worry about the consequences of it later. And fasting, very simply, is just saying no to one thing to say yes to the main thing. It's saying no to something that you are going to miss. <laughs> Look, I don't know about you. I grew up with a lot of friends who went to Catholic church, and, and they, would, they would observe Lent, right? And, and so Lent would come around, and they'd be like, yo, Griff, I'm going to fast from coffee because I don't drink coffee. <laughs> Look, that's not saying, no, bless them, but that's not saying... That's not saying no to one thing to say yes to the main thing, because if it's not something that you're going to miss, then it's not going to remind you that you're in a place of need. This is what fasting does. When we crave what we've taken out, it serves as a reminder for us to press in. And this is why you don't have to fast from food. You can fast from so many other things as long as it's something that you're going to miss. And I know some of you can't fast from food, and that's cool because of medicine and health stuff. That's great. It doesn't have to be food, but there's an opportunity for all of us to fast from something that we're going to miss so that it can remind us to press in. It's saying no to one thing to say yes to the main thing. And what we've been sensing is that we have seen tremors of God moving in our midst. But God wants to shift us from tremors to an all-out earthquake. And that we're in a season of saying God, we want to press into your heart as hard as we can, believing that you want to do more than we could ask, hope, or imagine in our city. That, that, that you want to channel your glory and get so big in and through our lives that it can't help but disrupt everywhere that we go. And what we're going to do to respond to this as a people is that over the next 40 days, we're, we're calling this a season of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And we're saying over the next 40 days, God, we're, we want you to, to just get as much of us as possible. And we're inviting you. We're inviting you into this season with us. That's why we put those cards on your chairs or you got them when you walked in that say that gather, restore, deploy. And what am I fasting from? Because we want you to take this week and really seek heaven and say, God, where have you called me to gather? And write it down on that card. And maybe it's your, your office or maybe it's your family or maybe it's your school. And every single day, 
today, over this 40-day window, we're going to together pray for those things, for God to open up divine favor in those places. And then that restore blank, we were like, what's that area in your life that you feel stuck in, that you need God to move in? Write it on that blank. Look at it every day. And over these days that we're spending together, pray for them. Lean in and say, God, would you move in this area of my life? And here's my favorite one, deploy. Who do you want to send me to, God, to hear your story? Can I tell you a faith goal? Here's my faith goal. All of this, if you get your calendar out, you'll realize that this 40 days leads up to Easter. And what I'm believing for is that we're going to see a shaking at Easter. And here's my faith goal, that we have 1,200 people at our Easter gathering. 1,200 people, and my faith goal is that we see 100 people make decisions to follow Jesus. Not rededications, but new people saying, yes, I'm in. And, and that's what I'm putting on that deploy. I'm putting that on there, and I'm going to pray that every single day. God, would you do it? Would you just, you've got to do that. We can't make that happen. You've got to make that happen, God. And we want you to get specific. What are you fasting from? Some of you, it's going to be food. For me, it is food. Some of us on the core team, we're going to be doing extended fast. We're really going to be going for it. So we're going to write down how long we're not eating and, and when we're going to start and when we're going to stop. Maybe you need to do the same thing. Maybe you need to write down, I'm not going to watch TV. Maybe you need to write down, well, I don't know. You need to get with God and say, God, how am I going to enter into this season of prayer and fasting that you're calling us to corporately so that we can see breakthrough happen individually and corporately, amen? And then on the back, here's the thing. We've got this little cool crafted prayer. We want everybody to pray this prayer for the Easter service every single day. Like God, on this day that the world stops and acknowledges that something happened, they might not even know what but everyone stops and acknowledges something happened on this day that they would encounter the living God. You know, we've, I mentioned this last week, we, we, we don't just want to say, okay, because look, let, let me tell you what fasting is not. Fasting is not a weight loss strategy. Fasting is not a uh, hunger strike Right? Fasting is, is saying no to something to say yes to something else. And, 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 it's, and it's about filling those spaces, not with other indulgences, but with the presence of God. And so what we're going to be doing is on March 3rd, we're going to start. March 3rd is a Tuesday. And from March 3rd and every Tuesday after that until Easter week, we're going to be gathering at our South Campus from 12 to 1 for what we're calling Jesus Hour. And it's just going to be worship, adoration, and intercession. Just letting the glory of God fill us up and fill that facility. And then on Wednesday, March 5th, or excuse me, Thursday, March 5th, and every other Thursday until Easter week, we're going to be meeting at the Capital One Cafe in the Domain and we're going to be prayer walking the domain, saying, God, get them, <laughs> unapologetically. 
Because can I tell you that what I'm believing for is a move of God in our city, that when people are just walking down the street, they get hit by the glory of God, and they got to fall down on their knees. And then as a follower of Jesus, you just got to walk around and pick people up and say, yo, let me just tell you what happened to you. Like people walking in the domain, being like, yo, I need to go get a pair of shoes. Boom! Yo, I just need to go get some coffee. Slam! Why not? Like, why, why are we okay with just, like, being like, we're, we're going to be? No, I'm not okay with living like an exile. Are you hearing me? I'm not okay with it. And it's not going to be about us getting louder. It's about God getting bigger. And every time exile is broken, it's a move of God. It's not a move of man. And we need a move of God. And look, let me tell you, look, when I, I never really heard about fasting. I grew up in a great family. I grew up in a great church. No one ever really talked about fasting. Me and a buddy of mine in high school, like, actually started reading our Bible. I know, shocker. And, and we came across fasting. And we're like, I guess we should try that, you know. And so we tried it, really, and it was horrible. And we didn't feel closer to God. And nothing happened, no breakthroughs. And, uh, and we were miserable the whole time, right? And so I just kind of put it away like, okay, yo, tried it. I'm, I really hope to never try that again. I go to college, and I'm sitting in a church service just like this, and I hear my pastor, who's still my pastor to this day, Jimmy Seibert, preach a message on fasting, and, and he, he invites the church into a three-day prayer and fast. And my buddies and I had just started going to church, and God was really starting to get a hold of our lives. And so we were like, oh, dude, let's do it. And I'm like, boys, I tried this, man. Like, I tried this fasting thing. It's miserable. And they're like, dude, let's just try it, you know. And so I was like, all right, I'll do it with you. And so we do it, and we're meeting on campus to pray. And, you know, we're using our meal plans and getting food and go giving it to homeless people. And we're just, like, trying. You know? And honestly, it was fun. Like God showed up, it was really powerful, and we had a great time doing it together in community. It was so fun. But I had never really fasted more than three days. Like that was it. Like I did a couple of more three-day fasts, and Liz and I had had our big DTR, the big define the relationship, you know. And she looked at me, and she had told me that she had liked me, and I'd waited for that for a year. So I'm like, yes, you know, finally. I wake up that next morning just like excited to celebrate with God that this thing that I've been waiting to hear for a year I heard and God speaks to me and he says JD there's things in you that I need to deal with and so I want you to go on a 21 day fast I'm like what do people even do that so I call a friend hoping to be bailed out right like Yo, have you heard of anybody ever fasting for 21 days? I'm hoping he's saying like, nah, bro. That's like, nah, no one does that anymore. He's like, oh yeah, man, so-and-so did it, so-and-so did it. And every person he tells me, I'm like, no, no, no. You know, I'm like getting discouraged. I'm like, shoot, I think I'm going to have to do this. So I didn't even really know what I was doing. Like, I just like launched it. Like, I picked a start date, picked an end date. I'm like, I'm going to drink water. I'm going to drink a little bit of juice. And we're just going to see what happens. You know, there were areas in my life up to that point that I knew were not God's best for me. But I had been fighting them for so long, I had honestly just kind of resolved, this is just going to be a fight. 
I, I don't know if I'm gonna get freedom in this area. I think I'm just gonna struggle in this area. And you kind of like make excuses, like Paul had the thorn in his flesh. Maybe this is my thorn. I remember I'm on this fast. I walk in the kitchen, a couple weeks in, I'm hungry. If you've never fasted, you're hungry. And there's life group snacks all over the table. Now look, as a college person, regardless, that's a trap, okay? Like, you know, even if you're not fasting, that's a trap. But even when you are fasting, I'm like, oh no, why is there all this free food here? I can't even eat this free food. And it was like a voice came in my head and was like, nobody's here, JD. Dude, you can eat those cookies. No one will know. It'll just be between us. You can tell everybody you're still fasting. No one will know that you're picked out today. And luckily, by the grace of the living God, I was reading through Matthew on, about Jesus going on a 40-day fast. And there was a moment when the devil came and tempted it. And he said, yo, Jesus, you're hungry. Turn this rock into bread. And Jesus looks at the devil and says that man does not live on bread alone, but every word spoken from the mouth of God. And so I'm in the kitchen and I'm like, God, I'm hungry. You got to speak to me. God, you got to move. You got to speak to me, Jesus. Like, I want to eat this cookie. And then my desperate declarations turned into worship. And I'm like, hallelujah, God, you're with me. You're better than this. You're better than food. What you're doing in my life is more powerful than these petty temptations. And I'm walking back to my room just like worshiping Jesus. And I felt like God grabbed me by the shoulders. And he's like, son, you have thought that you are just going to have to live dealing with pornography and masturbation and not treating women with respect. You just have like said, this is just going to be my struggle. This is just going to be my thing. You just said no to food. Something that your body actually needs. Never think that you can't say no to a temptation. And I walked into my room and all of a sudden from that second, listen to me, from that second, I've never dealt with pornography. I've never dealt with masturbation. I was a completely different person in how I treated women. From that second, and then all of a sudden, that pastor scripture where Jesus says, some things only come out through prayer and fasting, it made sense. It made sense. And I was like, God, thank you for, thank you for coming. And look, when I broke that fast, I was sad it was over. I was like, this intimacy that I have with Jesus is just so close. And I don't want that to end. I don't want that to go away. And it's just like God was looking at me. He's like, it doesn't have to, dude. It doesn't have to. And look, some of you are stuck. You're in, you need breakthrough. You, you need it. You, you've just like said, oh, this is just going to be my fight. No. Fight back. Fight back. It's, it's time for us to be like, no, I'm not just going to get pushed around anymore. We're going to stick it to the devil. We're going to say no to ourselves to say yes to Jesus. And I'm telling you, man, a church that's fully submitted, there's nothing. There's nothing that can stop it. 
Nothing that can stop it. Nothing that can stop your life fully submitted to Jesus. Nothing. There's breakthrough awaiting us. It's, a, it's waiting for us.